Welcome to CDM Media Executive Insights. I'm your host, J.D. Miller, Vice President with CDM Media. We have a great and informative podcast for you today. Joining us is Steve Betts, former CIO at HCSC, the parent company of Blue Cross and Blue Shield. He runs his own consultancy, Aperture Consulting. We're going to tackle issues around the changing role of the CIO in these trying times of COVID-19. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. IBM is a leading cloud platform and cognitive solutions company. Restlessly reinventing for over 100 years, IBM is the largest technology and consulting employer in the world with over 380,000 employees serving clients in 170 countries. With Watson, the AI platform for business powered by data, they are building industry-based solutions to help address some of the world's biggest challenges. A big thank you to IBM for sponsoring today's podcast. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, Steve Betts. Well, we're joined by Steve Betts, former CIO and Senior Vice President at HCSC, which houses Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Prior to that, he served as the Global Chief Information Officer at Aon. He's also the Chair of Lumity, a Chicago-based nonprofit that prepares teens and young adults for lifelong careers in STEM. He currently runs Aperture Consulting based in Chicago, where he focuses on digital strategy, digital transformation, and interim executive leadership. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Thanks a lot, JD. Great to join you. Interesting times we're in right now. And we recently had a discussion, you and I, about uh, the changing role of the CIO and, and an IT executive within an organization. It's even been amplified even more right now with the current crisis that the world is going through. How have you seen it change from clients you've dealt with and colleagues? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, these are unusual times. And you know, we've seen uh, really, over the last few years, with accelerating pace, uh, a separation between, I would say, the uh, the blocking and tackling operational elements of technology leadership or the CIO role, uh, but increasingly a front office business facing kind of you know closer to the customer uh, digital transformation type uh, focus on on technology. Ironically, as uh, uh, you know, with the, the times that we're in, I've actually seen a lot more appreciation for uh, robust operational uh, business continuity plans and more traditional uh, CIO duties as we, uh, you know, all increasingly look to to work from home. So it's actually been interesting this last uh, week or two to uh, to see the the, uh, the emphasis swing back to those more traditional uh, duties. Talk to me a little bit more about the, the business continuity um, changes that, that you're seeing and, and really how that's being transformative for companies. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that you know, business continuity has always been, <clears throat> it's always been important. Um, and um, I think that there's really a couple of things that I would say that have, uh, that have changed things here recently, obviously with the, uh, the COVID-19 uh, epidemic has really, uh, you know, brought all those plans into the point where they need to be executed. But I think that the other thing which, um, uh, which compounds that is the, uh, the, the larger role that technology is playing in how businesses operate. Uh, you know, not just something that, that's in the background supporting the business, but really uh, in, in nearly all cases now, most cases I would say, 
uh, the, the company doesn't operate without technology. So, uh, you know, it's really become that much more important to have, uh, you know, very, very effective uh, business continuity programs that you know, we're now seeing uh, being executed. Are you, you're definitely seeing more uh, technology executives uh, being invited to the table and, and kind of leading the table right now, aren't you? Yeah, I think that, you know, what I'm seeing um, is a little bit more of a, of a bifurcation of the CIO leadership role. So I certainly believe that technology is a bigger part of the executive leadership conversation and the board conversation. Uh, but it's increasingly uh, so because technology is a big part of business strategy. Technology is a part of uh, how the company operates. It's part, of, it's part of how you face off with customers. But many of the executives that are taking those roles are um, in you know, non-traditional CIO uh, roles. So things like you know, chief digital officers, chief data officers, and so forth. And I'm seeing a variety of uh, backgrounds that are filling those roles. I'd say more often than not, you're seeing a business leader who's shown some aptitude for technology, who's taken those, those CDO, uh, chief digital officer type roles. Uh, I'd say that there are uh, a subset of CIOs who are, uh, are stepping forward there and taking on more of that dual duty of um, it was increasingly being called CIDOs, Chief Information and Digital Officers. Along those lines, with, with uh, the current situation where a lot of people are working from home, that's kind of crept in and, and kind of overtaken a lot of focus um, for uh, IT executives, and especially the, the CIDO role as well. You know, what challenges do you think uh, IT uh, executives are facing as they're going into this work from home world? I think that the, um, you know, the challenges are, I'd say twofold. You know, there certainly are uh, technology capacity challenges. So many, many companies uh, have business continuity plans that call for uh, a, a percentage of their employees to, to work from home. So, you know, I don't think there's a typical, but it, uh, it's not unusual for it to be, you know, kind of in the, the 25% to a third um, of, of folks that, that you would plan to be working from home and, and uh, you know, deal with, uh, with, with emergencies. Uh, what, what we're seeing now though, is just the, uh, the breadth of this pandemic <clears throat> and uh, you know, the fact that it's, it's truly global in nature is that every element of the business is impacted. So we're now seeing where you are maybe planning for, you know, that, a quarter or a third of employees to work from home. It's, it's now, you know, 80, 90% plus employees working from home. Uh, so there's certainly a capacity challenge. And then I think the other, the other um, opportunity, let's call it that, uh, is for folks to work more effectively in a remote capacity. So, uh, you know, as we know, it's less of a technology challenge. It's more of a uh, you know, how to collaborate effectively, how to draw, you know, the appropriate engagement, really the productivity uh, through uh, collaboration tools. And, um, you know, I'm personally, I'm a huge advocate for using video uh, when, uh, when remote um, as, as you get a, a much richer uh, engagement than you do um, through, you know, an audio only, um, uh, you know, kind of medium. Uh, and I think, yeah, what we're, what we're, one other thing I will say is that, you know, the, the way that the 
the tools have developed to be more um, uh, reliable, robust, and have you know ease of of document sharing, uh, audio and and video interactions. Um, you know, I think that that's helped with this uh, uh, with how firms have responded to this this most recent incident. Do you see organizations looking for new and, and better tools pretty feverishly right now? You think a lot of them already had those in place. You know, is it one of these situations where right now got to find anything to, to make sure business happens? So, you know, I think that, that many firms for their employees, many firms had, had these tools in place for their employees. Those that didn't, I think, are absolutely accelerating uh, adoption and finding things that work. Um, you know, interestingly in healthcare, which is, is the area that I'm uh, uh, focused in, you know, have been over the last five years in my role at HCSC and then, you know, currently serving healthcare clients uh, today, uh, is the, you know, the, the, the challenges of, of um, you know, being in person, right, and looking at opportunities uh, to use telehealth type solutions uh, to interact, uh, you know, between uh, physicians and, and patients. Uh, with with some of the the uh, recent uh, waivers and relaxation of the requirements uh, from CMS, uh, that's led to uh, really two things. One is for for companies to more aggressively uh, pursue telehealth solutions that can be quickly turned on, uh, but also the creative use of uh, what's termed everyday technologies uh, to to leverage in a in a business sense. And and I will say that the the level of creativity. Uh, to leverage those capabilities, and we're talking things like you know, FaceTime and Google Duo, and you know, kind of other tools that people use in their uh, in their day to day lives, um, you know, has really enabled uh, some some near term solutions, um, you know, to help you know mitigate some risk and also create more scale for our, for physicians to work with patients. So, how do we judge success of an IT department? right now how do we judge that the the technology executive um is is doing the right thing with such a quickly moving target i think that, that there's a lot of um you know there's a lot of reaction that's going on at the moment and actually the measures of success are are, are pretty clear in terms of uh, a level of access and, and and productivity that the employees have um, but i think that you know increasingly Given the this uh, you know social distancing and, and virtual uh, experience that we're increasingly having during this this uh, uh, this pandemic, you know the ability of technology to serve the company's customers in a virtual uh, way is is um, you know is critical. So I think that the you know the the measure of success is um, again it's getting back to basics a little bit in terms of you know, availability of the service, effectiveness of the service, both for employees. Uh, and then for many businesses, um, you know, the, the ability to scale as the demand picks up actually for, uh, uh, for virtual, inter virtual interactions with, uh, with customers. L looking at the ability to scale, uh, a lot of organizations are, are trying to get lean right now. Um, some are, are, are struggling, but I think there could be a bigger need for talent in the technology space. Uh, do you see that really growing immediately right now? Yeah, I, I think that there's, uh, 
yeah, there's a shortage of um, of key talent in technology <clears throat> for sure. I think that you know I see it in a in a few areas, and, and specifically to your question about you know how you get more lean and scale. Yeah, you know, one of those is is an area I call intelligent automation. So, uh, you know, think of uh, you know traditional RPA, but within infused with uh, advanced analytics and insights. Uh, that there's part of this this um, this process of creating an intelligent business, uh, but then you know integrating the human plus machine to uh, you know to to really create that that. Um, yeah, both the the you know the lean efficient operations, but also you know bringing capabilities that you didn't have before. So you know the the, the types of, of skills required to do that, it's um it's really multidimensional in nature. Clearly, you need the the advanced analytics um, skills, which we know are uh, are hard to find. Uh, but it's also individuals that that really embrace concepts like design thinking and can really. Uh, empathize with, uh, you know, both the, uh, the 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 employees at a company and how they're interacting with technology, and also the customers and how they're uh, interacting with technology. So we're optimizing it, um, you know, not just in a um, in a kind of a rote way. We're we're doing it in a uh, uh, in a way that that brings value and uh, better experience to stakeholders, internal uh, and external. With the, the current environment as is, do you think organizations uh, on the technology wise are willing to accept more risk right now um, because of, again, as I mentioned, the moving target, or is it being uh, a focus more than ever before? I think that there's some, some near-term risk that is being, uh, you know, the, the, I think the risk tolerance is, is um, uh, is increasing <clears throat> if it means that you're you need to serve clients in the near term or customers in the near term. So you know an example is the um, is what I talked about before with the uh, you know the telehealth interactions with customers. A lot of restrictions around that and appropriate restrictions to make sure that they're you know documented appropriately and 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 so forth. Uh, but right now, if it means a patient can talk to a uh, a doctor when they otherwise couldn't, then you're willing to, uh, you know, I think it's partly why the CMS uh, restrictions changed was to, to allow that to happen for the good of the, uh, uh, the public health. And I think that we're seeing a lot of those types of, of decisions where, you know, it becomes a here and now imperative to provide a service. Um, that means that, you know, you, you, you can't throw the, um, you know, you, you can't, uh, you know, I've called cut launch from a, a risk perspective, but I do think that it means that we need to uh, thoughtfully proceed and then realize that we'll need to kind of catch up afterwards and, and make sure that we've got the right controls. Yeah. How have you, when you're dealing with clients, how have you noticed a, a shift in how they're doing business, a shift of, especially in the healthcare space? Um, I, I don't want to say panic, but just trying to aggressively make moves right now. So I, I've certainly seen a, you know, a, a focusing on, um, you know, on the the real near term priorities to uh, to improve the uh, the the ability to provide services to to patients and keep patients um, healthy. So, you know, a lot of the 
um, you know, kind of the, the further out kind of, uh, you know, kind of forward looking activities uh, are being underemphasized. So, uh, you know, folks are being pulled in to make sure that you've got uh, the right data in a really timely way to make informed decisions. And I think that, that's, that's probably the thing I've seen the biggest shift is a, is a laser focus on, you know, what do we need to do to make sure we've got the right, uh, you know, personal uh, protection equipment in the right facilities at the right time, as an example. You know, what do we need to do to make sure that we've got, you know, the right access to the right, the right patients, um, you know, to meet their needs. And, and how do we know that? What information do we need? When do we need it? How are we sourcing it? Um, so a real laser focus on, on data and, and the specific outcomes that we're, we're trying to drive is something that I've seen. This is going to pass eventually, right? And things are going to be a new normal uh, for companies. Uh, how do you envision you know, technology executives and, and IT departments coming out of this? And, and how are they going to look different? Well, I think that the one thing for sure is that the the tabletop exercises and the uh, the documents around um, business continuity and and the scenarios are uh, you know are going to be treated differently. So uh, you know I think that you know this is a wake up call for many companies that uh, you know these are not um, theoretical exercises that there really are clearly you know stuff you know things like this uh, can happen. So I think that the robustness of business continuity um, is going to be um, elevated. I think that there's also going to be a greater awareness on on broader ecosystem and supply chain risk, um, which is uh, you know something else that that's uh, really coming uh, to the fore here. And I think that that um, there's also been a realization of you know, how do you effectively serve uh, clients that are that are you know in in a in a more virtual uh, environment. So I think looking at, at how you uh, uh, how you can do that effectively. I you know I expect that a lot of companies are learning a lot about how to do that during this crisis, and I expect there'll be some uh, you know so often there's accelerated learnings when you're when you're in a in a situation like this. Uh, I would say that some of those are going to go forward, and we may see some enhanced virtual solutions for uh, from companies that maybe weren't as focused on it previously. We talked about hiring and, and making sure we, you, you bring in the right people um, after this passes. You know, the, the hiring process is going to be a little bit different. The talent pool is going to probably be a little bit different, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, that um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how we come out of this. So, uh, you know, in terms of the, uh, uh, the trajectory, um, I think that the, you know, I don't see it being fundamentally different, JD. I think that there's a, the types of skills that have been um, in demand and, and hard to find, you know, before the last uh, month. Um, I think that's, they're, they're still going to be there. So, you know, the data, data science, the cybersecurity, the, you know, full stack developers that can uh, already accelerate the digital, digital agendas. I think we're going to see a lot of that. I think that if there's maybe one difference, it is in that, um, you know, ensuring we have the right operational robustness to to implement those business continuity plans. So I think we'll see a, a doubling down of that 
certainly in the professional services space, but also as firms look at their own internal talent. You know, looking at our, our, our last few minutes here, um, when we talk about talent, yeah, great example is what you have there with Lumity, right? These young teens and young adults looking for careers uh, in STEM and, and really tell me what you're seeing coming out of there and, and what do you tell those kids in this current environment? Yeah, I think, you know, thanks for, uh, uh, for asking about that. You know, at, at Lumity, we're focused on, you know, providing STEM opportunities for, for youth in underserved neighborhoods that wouldn't otherwise uh, have those opportunities. And, you know, what I'm, what I'm, uh, you know, what we're seeing um, is that when you give students those, uh, you know, young adults those opportunities, they really step up in, in ways that, uh, that you, you wouldn't expect and that really um, and even themselves didn't expect that they would uh, be able to do that. Uh, we had um, Marcel Lewis uh, join us um, at the recent benefit uh, for Lumity. So uh, he was, you know, a student who had, um, you know, was at one of the, the alternative high schools in, uh, you know, in Chicago and didn't have a clear path forward. Uh, we introduced him uh, into the apprenticeship program uh, and set him on a user testing path. So he's working with, with MESS, which is a, a digital uh, creative design uh, firm here in Chicago. Uh, and he's thriving in, in his role as a quality assurance tester and now you know, learning uh, HTML uh, and other skills. Uh, and the other interesting thing is, you know, through that apprenticeship program where we, we placed over 70% of the, uh, the 50 plus young adults into full-time roles out of, out of, uh, out of the program, uh, is that the, the, the largest number now employed are in healthcare. So they're providing um, services in, uh, uh, you know, in assisted living uh, facilities and many of them on a path to, uh, to nursing qualification. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, obviously very topical here in, in the healthcare space, but I, I think that, you know, the biggest message is they apply themselves, then the, the jobs are there and, um, and they have the capabilities. Uh, definitely a great organization here at uh, CDM Media. Uh, Lumity is one of our CDM Cares partners. So uh, very excited to see that move along. Thank you, Steve, for joining us today. Uh, it's been enlightening and it's going to be interesting to see over the next weeks, months, you know, how the technology space is going to be changed. Great. Thanks, JD. Enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Great talk with Steve Betts. I'm now joined by Joe Picard. He's the U.S. Industry Marketing Leader for IBM Healthcare and Life Sciences. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Thank you, JD. Pleasure to be here. Some, some great insight from Steve that he brought to us. He's an experienced technology leader specializing in you know, the strategic digital transformation. I'm wondering how much of what Steve shared resonates with what you're experiencing at IBM. Yeah, so we've had the privilege of working with Steve in some of his previous CIO roles. And if you were to speak to the people at IBM, uh, you'd see he has the reputation of what he described as kind of this bifurcated or ambidextrous role of the CIO, where on the one hand, you have CIO leaders who are 
you know, very technically adept and very good at managing, you know, the behind the scenes, day-to-day blocking and tackling, keeping things running, uh, making sure that they are efficient, that they're optimized, that they're very flexible. And then on the other end, you have uh, more of the innovators, the business leaders who tend to have uh, a unique grasp of the potential disruptive capabilities of emerging technologies and how those can be deployed to really rethink, reimagine the business design, business processes. And and in the middle, you've got folks who kind of move seamlessly between between those two worlds like Steve. So we're seeing more and more of the, the individuals who are kind of what you described as the CDIOs, the chief digital and information officers. And uh, and in this environment, as, as you and Steve discussed, uh, the knee-jerk reaction when we have, when the status quo is disrupted, is that we kind of revert to you know the, the the blocking and tackling? What do we need to do to keep the lights on, to keep the trains moving, whatever metaphor you want to use? Um, but the the folks who have the proclivity to or the propensity to be the innovators are also very good at recognizing the opportunities that come out of that adversity and, and kind of changing things on the fly. So not just focused on what do we need to do to get things back to normal, but what do we need to do to get things to where they should then or where they ought to be going. And so that's kind of that's the behavior I think we're starting to see um, as we get through these first few weeks of this crisis and people start to react and adjust. Yeah. So with that in mind, what are some specific challenges you see organizations facing today in the industries you support? So obviously, IBM uh, covers mostly all industries in one way or another. And some of the things you discussed with Steve were very relevant across the board. So when we talk about the impacts of new ways of working and all of us being isolated and being remote, you know, that's more commonplace for some industries and it's and more practical for some industries than for others. Certainly at IBM, we have a history of uh, having limited work from home uh, situations. And so that transition was not as difficult. It's much harder for others and, and in some cases impossible for others to operate in that world. Uh, some of the things that you addressed in terms of, of talent management and, and, and skills constraints, you know, that's not just the technology issue for sure. And so it gets highlighted in this, in this environment as well. And then there's issues to deal with, you know, to having to do with business continuity and resiliency that you talked about, security images or security issues. All of those are, are kind of cutting across all of our industries, but specific to the area where I am in the business, which is our public sector. So we support uh, all of our state, local and federal government agencies, as well as in my case in particular, our healthcare and life sciences accounts of so the, the provider organizations, the health plans and, and insurers as well as the pharmaceuticals, the pharmacies, the medical device uh, manufacturers. So um, those are the folks who are clearly on the front lines right now in terms of what the president has described as this war on the invisible enemy. And so they each have unique concerns. Um, in just a minute on some of those, I guess. So in terms of the the health providers, obviously it's, it's more uh, very well documented, probably more than ever you know, any of us really wanna hear or see because we see it every day. But the issues with capacity, the issues with uh, resources, the, the issues with supplies, ventilators, PPE equipment, um, those obviously are top of mind with everybody and we're seeing it everywhere we turn, particularly in those areas where the outbreak has been most severe and most challenging. Um, in the, uh, on the payer side with the, with the health plans, there's some unique things that are, uh, are probably somewhat un- unanticipated. Certainly, uh, they are looking at what this means in terms of you know how how this will be paid for what who's going to cover what um, what are the what are the volumes that they might anticipate in terms of you know claims that are being filed 
things like um, obviously this week we had the report on over three billion claims for unemployment you know, with some very scary projections about it going much higher and and that puts many people who are dependent on those you know on, on health insurance from those employers in a position where they're most vulnerable at, at a time when they can least afford it and so from a payer standpoint a lot of those people might be turning around tomorrow and, and you know asking about what the cobra plan looks like that's something that they never anticipated so as a result they're reopening enrollment in many cases and then of course on the life sciences side um, there's tremendous pressure on being able to identify uh, therapies and vaccines and, and, you know, and activities or, or plans that we can implement to, to kind of stop this in its tracks. The, a lot of moving parts right now. And, and specifically what's IBM doing to help businesses and technology leaders get through these challenging times and challenging circumstances. Yeah, so uh, I think, J.D., we try and look at it in, in kind of three phases. So there's kind of a response phase, a recovery phase, and then a renewal phase. Uh, there's some really cool things that we're doing right now that talk about the immediate challenge and how we're responding to that. Like uh, most any organization you turn to, uh, you know, if you go to IBM.com, you would see on our website our point of view on, on COVID ID. Uh, COVID-19 and, and what we're doing to respond to that. If I could take a minute just to highlight a couple of those. Um, working with uh, with the White House and with the Office of Science and Technology Policy, we spearheaded an effort to bring online uh, a high-performance computing consortium, which includes the likes of uh, beyond, including, of course, IBM, but also Amazon, uh, Google, Microsoft, all of the Department of Energy uh, national laboratories, also includes our uh, academic partners, MIT, RPI, University of California at San Diego. And we're working together to make available to the research community vast amounts of supercomputing power, uh, which are really necessary to accelerate and expedite some of the research that's happening. A quick anecdote on that, um, using the, uh, the world's largest supercomputer, IBM Summit, which is at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, researchers uh, conducted a project to analyze some 8,000 compounds um, and understand which of them were most likely to be able to uh, bind to the primary protein spike of the coronavirus in such a way that it limits it uh, uneffective or unable to infect human cells. So they did that in a matter of days and took 8,000 compounds down to 77 that, you know, in, under normal circumstances, that's a simulation exercise that would have taken many, many months. Now they can take those 77 and quickly go into uh, further studies and testing policies to try and identify which ones might be an actual, um, you know, not a cure, but a, a therapy or a vaccine that we can pursue. Another area, uh, really quickly, in terms of new ways of work, working with the city of New York, city of New York on March 15th, uh, announced that they would be suspending public school for an un indefinite period of time. It's obviously the biggest school district in the country, and there's some 300,000 students that don't have access to uh, to mobile devices, to reliable Wi-Fi. So working with the city, with the Commissioner of IT, with the Department of Energy, um, sorry, Department of Education, as well as with Apple and Mobile IT, we very quickly deployed a program to get devices and connectivity into the hands of those students so that they could participate in the remote learning solutions. Um, there are a number of other things. One of the things we're doing that's very interesting with regard to uh, utilizing our blockchain platforms is setting up an emergency medical response platform so that for all the, the brave and selfless people, the retired doctors and nurses and medical students who are making themselves available to address the, the, the skills shortage, 
making sure that we can uh, get a platform that will help them help uh, institutions get them to the places where they need to keep track of, of where those resources are and how they're being deployed. We are also using that for a rapid emergency supplier onboarding using the same blockchain procurement system that IBM is using today and making that available so that uh, as we try and address this supply shortage and we bring suppliers on online very quickly, that it's done so in a way that ensures integrity and quality and makes sure that the transactions and the, and the individual firms themselves are credible and, and effective. So those are some of the things that we're doing short term in terms of the response. Uh, on the recover side, we, we're really taking advantage of what you described in the in, in the introduction as IBM's you know 100 plus years and experience across 170 com countries to make available a online at our site a COVID response guide, which really talks about you know what, what what should companies be thinking about. There's a checklist and a set of recommendations to how they work with their employees, uh, how they communicate with customers and partners how they you know, really ensure their own financial uh, stability and their operational stability. And finally, what role should they be playing as a community, community citizen and contributing to society during these times? And then I guess finally, J, JD, kind of a, just a, a note without being too preachy. I think from the renewal side, you know, we know that we're in a very difficult time here. It's a very horrible set of circumstances. And unfortunately, the pain uh, and the damage will be borne by more by certain segments of, of the economy and certain segments of society than others. But there is a, a hopeful optimism that, you know, as we go through the year and towards the end of the year, we'll really emerge from this in a very strong position. And I just hope that, um, you know, we, we do take advantage of the lessons learned here that our leaders, whether they be political leaders or our government leaders or our business leaders, realize that you know, there's a, there's a gray line between the science and the science fiction. And just because something is hard to believe or, or difficult to comprehend doesn't mean it's fiction. I think we've learned that here. But with the tools and technologies that we have at IBM and around the world, with the, with the availability to take advantage of so many sources of data, I think we're in a better position than ever to kind of look into our crystal ball and predict the future. And, you know, the price, what, one of the lessons that we've learned before, and unfortunately we need to learn again, it's staring us in the face right now, is that the price of ignoring the evidence is, is many times greater than the cost of taking precautionary measures and, and, and heeding the advice. And so, while you know, we can't live in a bubble, we won't live in a risk-free world. There are certainly things that we can do to mitigate that risk and, and things to do so that we are better prepared the next time the uh, unthinkable becomes the inevitable. It's definitely interesting times, that is for sure. A big thank you, Joe, for, for joining us and IBM for sponsoring the show. A uh, big thank you to Steve for joining this week's Executive Insights as well. You can find CDM Media at cdmmedia.com. Come and find out more about our digital events and how we can help you accelerate your business. Be sure to tune in next week for more Executive Insights.